0: Hello and welcome to Harp on That String, a podcast about music and musicians and playing music and living the musical life and the artistic life here in the year 2020. My guest today is the fabulous Lisa Lipton, clarinetist and executive director of Opera Theatre Organ. Welcome to Harp on That String, Lisa.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. In fact, you were one of the first people I thought about asking for this podcast. It was, an abs- it was actually, okay, the whole podcast was a ploy to get you here. <laughs> love it. Okay.
1: I love it. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm really happy to be here and
0: have some semblance of community. Yes, community. It's, we're getting lonely for each other. Who would think? Who would think we'd be lonely for opera rehearsals? <laughs> and there's also that guilt Mm. do you have guilt dreams oh yeah
1: actually i think i had one yesterday really well i'm not sure if it was guilt but now that you say that it might be that i had a dream that i was working at my old job the rimsky Corsa coffee house okay um which is all classical composer themed um and silly desserts with like references to opera or classical pieces or like you know, classical music. Sounds concert. yummy. <laughs> it <laughs> is was really yummy, um, and it's all desserts and coffee. But in my dream, it had reopened since the pandemic, and we had added hot dogs. And only hot dogs. It was like ice cream, coffee, and hot, hot dogs.
0: <laughs> Were the opera dogs no. finally? The opera dog has happened. <laughs> Homer Simpson asked for the opera dog. Remember. <laughs> Come oh. on now. Okay,
1: so that may have been like probably where my mind got that a little bit. But um, in the dream, I was waiting on some customers and I, I realized, you know, we, had three, we were only offering three different types of hot dogs. And so there's three of them with different toppings. And, you know, it was the first time I'd been back to work and um, I don't know, maybe it was like years in the stream. And I was thinking about asking my coworker if we toasted the buns. Like, I didn't know how this process went. Like, how do I make this hot dog? You know, I get this hot dog. I don't even know what these toppings are. But he was so involved in a project that I just, like, decided to make executive decisions about what to do with these hot dog buns. <laughs> the toppings. You know, it's a dessert house, so there's mainly dessert toppings. Dessert cellular. hot
0: dogs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, me cute. <laughs>
1: I don't know if that's guilt or what that is. but That's
0: the kind of dream we have. <laughs> I had one once. It was when I was preparing for a competition or was thinking about it. It was back in the day. And I keep making it past the stages of the competition, even though I never actually made it into play. Mm-hmm. And then there was finally one stage came up and you were supposed to have crocheted a doily and the thing is, is I know how to crochet and I know how to crochet a doily but I did not know I needed to have crocheted a doily and I was doily-less and somebody took pity on me and a doily manifested to get me through when I didn't really need to go through because I didn't, wasn't prepared obviously <laughs> stuck with me it's been years and i still remember that dream and the angst and the doily anxiety <laughs> <laughs> i love this because
1: it has nothing to do with playing necessarily no
0: no it really doesn't it's the things around playing
1: that is performance anxiety and guilt often don't have to do directly with your instrument
0: if i don't practice yeah i get guilt dreams Ooh. I start getting dreams where my teachers show up. Whoa! You don't dream about your teachers? No. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but I kind of wish I would have those dreams. I have serious like talks oh, with my teachers. That is so cool. It's it like they're actually, you from beyond. Actually, it is sometimes like that. I do have revelations. Oh yeah, I'll learn something or I'll put something together. That's really cool. dream. People visit me
1: and people say stuff to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I have kind of some crazy dream stuff, but never teachers.
0: Really? I'm surprised.
1: I thought thought that would be, like, normal. (laughs) I want it to be. I want to have somebody come and talk to me about my playing in a dream. Yeah. In fact, I very, very rarely have, like, tons of playing dreams. They're often, like, scenarios that would never happen, and sometimes the clarinet's involved, but... It, it has to do with something separate, like the hot dogs. Yeah. Like
0: something irrelevant and erroneous. Like just... Why hot dogs at a dessert restaurant? <laughs> Why do you crochet doilies at a harp competition? Exactly. Mine usually involve moving the harp, mm. or some piece of information I've missed. Yeah. Like not having a part. Yeah, that happens.
1: I find instruments in my dreams often. Oh, that's fun. What yeah. have you found? Um, I found a lyre, like a really antique lyre on a beach once. Cool. That was really amazing because the whole beach was filled with antiquities of bygone times. Um, it was actually one of my most crazy dreams because... In the middle of realizing all this art and antiquities and, like, gemstones. Just, like, crazy, beautiful objects all over uh-huh. the shore. I felt this urgency, like, maybe I should leave. It was oh. very weird. I wasn't like, ooh, I'm going to just totally, you know, live here forever. It was kind of like, hmm, something's not quite right. And then I look up, and I'm looking into the waves, and I see this emaciated whale that is gold. Like, shiny, like wheel gold. Okay. Totally emaciated whale who like looked at me like, please go. And then I left. Yeah. I Too don't know what that means. Late
0: night pizza? <laughs> Maybe. 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 How long have you played the clarinet? Uh, this... How did you get here? How did you get oh, into, man. how did you get from some innocent little child wandering around the playground <laughs> thinking about Lord knows what and now you're playing the clarinet, and uh, which mystifies me. The woodwinds mystify me. Um, they still and, mystify me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and also being an an executive director of arts organizations. I mean, talk about place. We need talent. It's that, that parts, is yeah. that's part's that I, hard. The fact that I know there's people like you out there working in arts organizations gives me hope because I've seen a lot of organizations suffer from lack of good leadership.
1: I think leadership is so difficult to um, talk about and teach because it often forces you to recognize um, social and political things that we're taught not to talk about, Um, dynamics we're taught not to talk about. Um, skills that maybe people don't know how to teach very well um, because I find a lot of my job is problem-solving and not just problem-solving but being able to navigate people's needs um, and what the organization needs and not really sacrificing one or the other um, that's hard and takes a lot of planning like preparatory planning but I think if people are happier at rehearsals and at shows and people are happier when they're involved, then the show's going to be better, and the organization's going to be better for it. Um, but that's, I don't know, like when I think back to music school, I had a really bad time. I had a really horrible school experience. Oh. And so much of it revolved around the fact that I didn't feel like the leadership knew how to make either certain people feel included or how to help people um, get to where they needed to be to be the best. Um, that they could be in that setting, or be the best in you know, in that ensemble, and uh-huh. that changes. Like not every show is the same, right? Not every aspect of what OTO does is going to fit, you know, with the last thing that we did. But I think that's like what I'm excited about. I love change. I love um, the concept of like community that people are excited to be in, or want to hear about, or want to be involved in. Um, as far as clarinet, I didn't want to play clarinet. Oh, wow. I wanted to play saxophone. But there is two problems with this. One, well, actually three problems. There's a lot of people that want to play saxophone. I don't think I was the biggest child in terms of being able to hold it. Because at that point, like you can see now, it's still, you know, it's a pretty tall instrument for an eight or nine year old. Yes. So this was, I think, a little bit lighter than the saxophone, so it was easier for me to hold. But also, I have this memory of my dad saying that I'd probably want to play in an orchestra someday, so I should probably pick something.
0: That plays in orchestras. Yeah,
1: not that saxophones don't, but they just it's, get less action. Well, yeah, there's a lot less, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I started playing it, and I really liked it. And that was um, 20 years ago, almost 21 years ago. Do I have a birthday coming up?
0: Oh, you do. Yes. Nice. (laughs)
1: Um, August twenty fifth. Okay.
0: Okay. I'll be turning thirty. Are you a Virgo? I am. I shouldn't bring that up on here, but I can't help it. (laughs) I love my Virgos. (laughs) We're so organized.
1: You are. It makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think I, I entered into school believing that I would find all the answers, which is pretty naive. I was like, I will go to school and I will know how to be a musician afterward. And I will know exactly what I need to do in this world to be a musician with other people and explore all the things that I like. And this one institution is gonna get me there. And that is just not reality.
0: Well, the problem is, is that our teachers can only teach us to the music world they grew up in. And That's true is my teacher grew up in kind of an old hollywood um kind of approach to and also you know my my college teacher yeah and um so she she had a, a really rarefied existence as a mm. musician where she was a t- the child prodigy who performed you know high level very young and was extremely competitive and and did all this stuff. And so she just modeled us after her. Wow. Because that's what you kind of, you as the teacher, model after your own success. Yeah. Problem is, is that world doesn't exist anymore.
1: And I, I think also that community just gets smaller and smaller uh-huh. and smaller. Yeah, when I say I had a, a bad experience, it was mainly in that like all of these friends that I have that are composers like what's going to happen to their music and it just wasn't getting played and there wasn't a lot of avenues for that and I felt like in my large ensembles we were focusing on the wrong stuff to be able to continue the notion Uh of why it's relevant right to go to music school um and I was asking these questions a lot and I was you know felt like I was doing the same stuff over and over again in every single ensemble and didn't find it to be very growth inducing
0: um
1: I didn't have a Hollywood style like rarefied professor at that point I would later on um but I do I did feel like um School taught me some stuff, but I wasn't getting enough of what I needed to get to feel fulfilled. And for me, that was promoting new music and feeling connected to the people that write music. Because, I mean, we spend all this time studying all these composers um, that we're never going to get to meet or interact with. Um, and that's beautiful in its own way. It's archival. Right. Um, and... Their works have stood a certain test of time because they are so beautiful, and they do create expressive emotion around different topics. And they give
0: you skills. Yeah. You get, You have to know the you that's have to true. Know The core literature. Yeah, that's you true. Do. But they, it, there should be peppered with some other stuff. I was lucky along these lines. Yeah. I was lucky along these lines that I had opportunities to do new music and to work with my own Yeah. as a composer. I was lucky that... Um, I was allowed that. Yeah. But I also was one of the reasons why I studied at the school I did for three degrees. Yeah. Because I was wanting that all encompassing. Yeah. And plus there was an opportunity to bring a new life at least one time. There was one time that there was a big commission that came into the university and the composer was present and we were getting like movements of the piece. It was a it was a multi movement, big ensemble big band ensemble actually. Wind ensemble with choirs, and we were getting each movement as it was written. That's really and it cool. And we was going into rehearsal with like brand new stuff off the press, like every week. And we spent a whole semester on that thing to world we'll premiere it, a whole semester. That was exciting. Yeah. That was what I learned as a performer, what it was like to be bring something like that to life. Yeah. And yeah, it was, that was amazing. It was still, it's like, you know. But to, the fact that that opportunity isn't out there all the time for everybody, yeah, you know? It's like usually it's you're just struggling anymore Um, and academia, it really is. Can I get them through this degree program so I can have my numbers up? And that's, so the school's numbers are up. And so everybody's numbers are up. And yeah. I have so many graduating seniors and I need to recruit in so many more. And it's all this. And we're not teaching.
1: No, it's been put into a... a designed to generate income for the school to generate and perpetuate these models that aren't institutional models for learning or community or research they're institutional models for continuing to build an economic device that keeps people moving keeps people going through these tracks so that we can continue to be on this cycle of bigger and better bigger and better more and more
0: right it's all connected to that I have one colleague who said, it was like, you know, we're making buggy whips. Ooh. when there's no buggies. People don't drive buggies anymore.
1: That's a really good analogy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like this antiquated idea of what it means yeah.
0: Yeah. to be... A musician. Yeah. And even that idea isn't the real idea. That's true. I mean, if, all you have to do is look at music history. Yeah. There's a reason why we're told to study it actually look at the lives of the musicians and the composers that came before us you'll realize that none of them fit this model
1: they were outliers always yeah
0: and they were servant class yeah we believe we 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 work in a um working class field that mixes with the upper crust yes we're expected to blend with the upper crust. But we're not accepted in the working class because we're tainted by education. <laughs> mm.
1: It's the idea that what we have is social currency that we must use to keep our place, but that we can't actually either get paid more, or get paid in such a way where you know we're, we're having a leg in both I don't know. Yeah. It's classes. like, it's like you, yeah, you go broke going to music school unless you're independently wealthy.
0: Yeah. Or lifetime of debt.
1: Or, yeah, lifetime of debt. Maybe you got a scholarship.
0: Maybe. With the scholarship.
1: Yeah. Maybe. okay, okay, let me rephrase that. <laughs> I don't even think they do full rides anymore. But maybe, wow. <laughs> maybe you mm-hmm. got a full ride for one of your degrees. Mm-hmm. But we now, because of the way the system's perpetuated, we now can't just have one degree. We no. have two or three. Um, and then, you know, we don't belong anymore to working class, but we're swimming in debt. But we don't belong to upper crust because we're swimming in debt. But we also...
0: Are expected to show up in a tuxedo. Yes.
1: And we we have some of this, these concepts that are belonging to upper crust but don't really make sense mm-hmm. in a systematic way for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, you know what, I think... Classical musicians are in their own little special economic bubble of debt.
0: <laughs> I think it's honestly, and I I mean, I think we are, even in in the popular styles as well, you know, we're average singer-songwriter is in the same boat we're in. Mm. The average, um, you know, person who has a band is in the same boat we're in. Well, and a lot of um, them went to music school. And yeah. And they're
1: like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I got to switch it up.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, but uh, it's, it's jazz players. You know, New Orleans, they've, they've been having them. They're still reeling from the Katrina, much less, you know. Yeah. Much less anything like this. I can't imagine what that's done to the music scene down there. Because we end up in where we need to rely on social services. But yeah. we're treated by those social services oddly because we have education. It's, 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 weird. it's a weird. It's a weird situation to be in. Yeah, we're in. We're in neither on either side of that fence. And then when you're asking for money, that's an executive director. I, I, you're you're special that you can ask for money. (laughs) I I have a hard time with that. I mean, I have a hard enough time asking to be paid for what I do. Mm. Um, which is ridiculous because I need to eat.
1: Yeah, you've got to eat.
0: You have to have a maintain my instrument. Oh yeah, poof, my poor baby. (laughs) <laughs> this poor thing? Seriously. My poor harp, it's sitting right here. I'm sitting on it beside it on the floor. Um, it needs what's called a re-rivet. How much does that cost? Renting a hall? <laughs> so like five grand. Uh-huh. If it has to go away. Yeah, and then what? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, that's not happening anytime soon. And it's still playing. Yeah. It's still playing. Yeah. It's... How long can you go before you have to re-rib it? Well, what, could hap- what will happen is eventually the mechanism will no longer engage. Okay. So one day you're going to wake up, come downstairs, be like, yay, time to play my heart. And I'll move my F into sharp, but I won't get F sharps. So. The mechanism, there's a very intricate, at least 2,000-part metal mechanism on a concert harp. And on and, um, certain brands and certain models, and this is an old instrument. It was built in 1969. Oh, uh, and about every 20 to 40 years, they need a re-rivet. A re-rivet. And it's already been re-riveted once, because it was bought used. Mm. And it's been played very, very aggressively and very and through a lots of repertoire since then. Yeah. So, I'm still getting some of the some of the rivets are stripped like you can tell like the the metal like if you know a strip screw is, yes. Yeah, it's stripped in there basically. You can see
1: that it's not grabbing.
0: It's not going to it doesn't grab consistently cuz it's stripped. And so, honestly, it gets me through cuz I know how to work it. Yeah. I know what to do with it. When I know how to a piece I know how. Yeah, exactly. I know how to make my instrument do things. Yeah. But um, and I have to double check. Yeah. You know, so I double check. But so far, so good. And worst comes to worst, if that happens, we'll find a way. But um, yeah, they're musical when you tap them, instruments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It was they just get sharper and sharper.
0: Is that what they do?
1: Yeah, because the spit going into the bore all the time and playing it and heating up, cooling down, heating up, cooling down. I mean, it's a hardwood grenadilla, it's an uh-huh. African hardwood. um But you know, they don't last forever. Right. Because you're just putting moisture in them for hours and hours and They're hours. Putting
0: moisture time. in wood.
1: Yes. Yeah. They don't like that.
0: Mm mm.
1: Yeah. They get overhauled and you replace the pads um, every like five years, but they're supposed to only last 10 to 25 years. Uh Uh-huh. And then you have to get a new one. Uh Uh-huh. I've had this one since 2004. Uh Uh-huh. I've had the other one in my case since 2008.
0: Uh
1: Uh-huh. So we're almost, we're almost there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes, yes and that's okay
1: but on that note uh when you run an opera company um you don't really think about this stuff until you have an opera company but like storing costumes and props and stage stuff like that is like a whole thing yes um and then yeah it's fun though I mean it's a wild adventure there's not so many instruments we don't own our own timpani because those are like the same price as a small house Um, (laughs) it is a small dare i say it working class opera company right now my goal goal yeah my goal is to of course make it a bigger institution um that is a at least 10 year stretch Uh uh-huh um and I'm passionate about it because I do think that even though these art forms can often get labeled as archaic and it's not, I don't belong to, you know, community that's interested in that. I do actually think that if you present it in the right model, in the right format, and with, like, things that are relevant to all communities, that people do actually enjoy it. Yeah. They legitimately enjoy seeing new music and different styles of music. It's they just,
0: do. They do. It is how it's presented. Yeah. I do think that the classical arts could really use a revamping of how we present ourselves to the general people. Agreed. Um, The elitism turns them off. Mm -hmm. They're overly nervous about what to wear. I believe this is the number one. I mean, when you talk, try to talk people into going to the concerts, the very first thick thing they worry about is how they're dressed. Mm. They don't feel like that's the place they can be. Mm-hmm. And the other one is they don't know when to clap. And they're mm-hmm. very anxious about that. So obviously at some time, someone's done some damage to their yeah. enjoyment of the art form. Yeah. And part of it is because it's stiff. It's presented stiff. The music's not stiff. Yeah. The music's not stiff. The composers are not stiff. The performers are not stiff. We're pushed into stiffness. We're pushed into all black, behaving as a uniform machine. Um, you know, the be the, the heard, not seen kind of, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and... Meld into your seat. Meld and into make your... Make a great sound. And make a great sound. <laughs> And get it right every time without any causing any problems in rehearsals and all of that, and mm-hmm. that's that's all fine and good. But the um, list the average listener doesn't relate to that. They, you know, it's true. I think it's fun to get dressed up and go to a concert, but not everybody does. Yeah, they're uncomfortable and I mean, what if their idea of a good pair of pants is their dress jeans? yeah you know, no that should be that is okay by the yeah. way I personally I don't care what my pe- people in my audience is wear. I like people in my audience
1: yeah yeah I think people in the audience is better than wait 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 let me rephrase this <laughs> hundreds of people in jeans are better than five people in a tux in my well, audience yes
0: That's... yes exactly <laughs> and that was before COVID yes we take five in jeans, by the way, (laughs) socially distance.
1: (laughs) Wait, so do we know the history of what's, like, because I feel like when I think about music history and think about Beethoven and and other operas Mm -hmm. being performed, I do think, like, you know, a lot of people went because that was a form of entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't have TV, they didn't have these other things. So when did the switch happen in which it became, like, this thing, this, like, we've got to dress a certain way or we've got to, like... It's almost like church, like it got put into the same category as church. I think,
0: like it's a duty you perform. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think historically speaking, the you know the public concerts rose with the rise of the middle class in the classical period. Mm-hmm. Before then, it was music was either in the churches or in the aristocracy. Yeah. Um, and musicians were servant class. Mm-hmm. And even then, when the public concerts you know, you wore the livery of your sponsor. Mm. Okay? Which, by the way, if you want to sponsor a concert and and have the musicians wear your livery, we will do this. Dress me up! Uh, dress me <laughs> up! <laughs> <laughs> and the all, you know, the concert black comes out of the romantic period. Yeah. And honestly... Don't distract. Don't distract Well, actually, you know, it because it came, I think a lot of it came out of the... Um, Robert, uh, out of Clara Schumann, mourning Robert Schumann, she wore black all the time in mourning, and she had a very, very, very prolific performing career.
1: Damn! But what wearing a all
0: musician black, we've been mourning for Robert <laughs> Schumann for forever, forever, <laughs> for lifetimes, lifetimes. <laughs> and face it, it's convenient. You know, and it used to be everybody would have a basic black dress because you had to have one for mourning. Again, that's a Victorianism left over. Yeah, It's been over 100 years. Yeah. Getting on to 200 for some of this (laughs) stuff. Is it really that distracting? You know, I mean, honestly, I don't... It kind of
1: adds to it for a little character, I think. Not the Uh black. I mean, Uh just dressing in, like, fun stuff.
0: I, I mean, as a, as a classical musician, I think that the all-black thing needs to go.
1: Goodbye. We're goodbye, all-black
0: and all-black and rejected bridesmaid gowns.
1: Oh, I forgot about how prevalent that is. Oh, my favorite is when they tell you to wear a pop of color with your concert black. I really go for I'm like, you just gave me a free pass. I am going to wear something. You know, I hate it when
0: I'm told, not told about the pop of color and I get uh, to the concert and I haven't been given an opportunity.
1: <laughs> and then you're like, all right, now people think I was rebelling and I just wanted to continue mm-hmm. mourning.
0: Mm-hmm. I do have my naughty and nice socks though. I have Christmas, <laughs> I have like these tall socks and they're black except for red toes. And so they're hidden inside my shoes. But they say naughty and nice up the sides of the legs <laughs> and they're underneath my dress. <laughs> so you can do, I do things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A little uh, secret flair.
0: A little secret flair. Yeah. I'm you,
1: wearing my queen of hearts um, socks today.
0: Well, there you go. Oh, wow. But, yeah. Lisa is pulling up her black and white striped leggings, which are so cute. And she is wearing queen of hearts socks on top of flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. But, Yeah, I mean, we need some style.
1: I do admit to having a little bit of a uniform. The stripes yeah. is, like, my favorite thing to wear in any direction. I don't care. I'll wear all stripes for, like, days.
0: Well, that's... The, yes. I've seen you in other things. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm an adventuresome dresser. I'm wearing my linen shirt because it's a hot day, but... I do love the very... The day glow colors the like neons i'm really into that right now maybe it's the sun it's like influencing my
0: decisions it could be (laughs) 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 but i know i think that and also i mean a lot of this stuff's uncomfortable yeah yes yeah i mean i feel sorry for the guys stuck in the tuxedos
1: and then like what if you didn't wear a bow tie and everyone's wearing bow tie like I would just, if I were having to do that, I would just keep all of the different neck options in my, um, in my car, like uh-huh. in the, the little cubby, what's that called?
0: The, the glove box. The glove. Oh, another antiquated. part. Another antiquated thing that For we people, still Although we probably might want to bring those back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was watching, um, uh, I like to watch period t- television. Ah, oh, yes. masterpiece theater, and Great. I've been watching. Um, it's okay. Uh, the old Sherlock Holmes series, the Jeremy Brett series, on YouTube, oh. and they did absolutely wonderful really renditions good. of old Sherlock Holmes stories. And and i was watching it, and I'm like, seeing the people. They're wearing gloves, they're wearing hats, they're wearing outer coats, they're wearing, uh, they're carrying a cane. They are socially distanced. <laughs>
1: And it's mean, to the max. They are
0: accessorized to the max, but there's also nobody getting through that. And I <laughs> you know what? There's a wisdom to that. Yeah. There and I can see maybe in London at that time period in the Victorian period that might have been very wise. Oh yeah. They've got the neck things too. Yes. They've got like multiple neck
1: things, right? They've got they like their have, tie bow tie and then they've got that like scarf thing that goes yes, over. Yes. Yes. Wow.
0: I mean, they kept that kind of... That was the upper class that could afford this. Yeah. They could stay outside they were under of the wraps. filth. Oh, they could rise above. Yeah. Mm. That was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. So things weren't clean, and they <laughs> kept themselves... You know, those big poofy skirts kept people away from you. Oh yeah! You can get. So, I mean, you you were you know.
1: You can't get in there.
0: You can't get in. There. <laughs> I I it's my yeah. I watch a lot of uh also YouTube videos about people sewing period garments. Oof. So addicted.
1: I I was watching the um. There's this woman that recreates like ancient Grecian and Roman aristocracy hair. That, oh, I've seen her uh, with the weaving and uh-huh. the sewing. Uh-huh. I want those hairs. <laughs>
0: you're gonna take a wig making next (laughs) you're like i want that i want to wear that now (laughs) Uh, they look so good so there is you know it's interesting youtube is showing us a whole world of what people are doing (laughs) for fun and have done this like i saw a chick the other day i watched her sew using traditional techniques a medieval style linen shift Did it take her forever she just did it like on time lapse video, you know, and she but just stitched did. and yeah. stitched, and she made the linen shift. Was, was it cute? Sh- it was well, it was just a little like linen, you know, overshirt, you know, <laughs> yeah. and 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 then she and then she did a dance party to it. Oh. And recorded the dance party, and I watched that twenty minutes.
1: <laughs> I probably am gonna watch that. I'm look for that. I'll have
0: to send you the link. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that sounds
0: like my little party. I could, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I'm. It's like I am watching a person so in. <laughs> And, but see, there wasn't anything stiff about that.
1: Mm. And it was, it's not a new concept. No. It's not a new concept. It's a uh, time-consuming
0: and, you know, methodical way of doing something. Yeah. But she, you know, was basically taking this time-old thing and made it something really fun.
1: Yeah. It's like people making bread during quarantine. Everyone's doing this stuff that... You have to like watch for hours and like make sure you don't you know uh-huh, you gotta check on things or if you're like prepping something in like three or four steps, you know you do your thing and then mm-hmm. you visit it and you make sure everything's good and then you come back to it um and I don't know, I mean, we have to do things in steps too, like with music no like,
0: music yeah it's a it's a time wander it is it does take time, oh yeah, there's no hurry,
1: yeah. Even if you want to rush it, you can't. No. Some of it's just absorption over time. Like, you may be able to grasp the concept and not execute it, and then later on, once you've thought about it, or your brain's puzzled it, then you've got it. Or sometimes you may not have an appreciation for something, and then you really think about it, or it gets stuck in your head, or you, you like, have some time with it. Uh-huh. And then you're, you can't get enough of it, and I, it's breathing
0: something new for you. I think um, it was... There was a pianist that said that uh, when you're a student, you should just go through as much repertoire as possible mm. because you need the layers on the music. Yeah. But that's what new music doesn't have. Yeah. That's where it's trickier. That's why it's such a challenge to take on something yeah. and create. You have to create that first set of layers yeah. from scratch because no one's heard it before. yeah. Like, you, you were looking at a piece of mine today, which we're going to try to play some of. And I wrote this, oh, man, it's been too long. And it got played a couple times. And, and then it got buried in my piles And because I have to have a clarinetist to play with. There's not that much literature written for the clarinet and the harp. There is some stuff out there. Yeah. Got to say that. Yeah. But um, anyway, and so we picked up this piece, and I'm looking at it going, What was I thinking? <laughs> this meter is this driving r- me crazy, or this, this rhythm, why did I write this rhythm? So we're going to make a stab at one of these. Woohoo! Woohoo! Because we have been practicing it and reading on it. Yay. And uh, this is an excerpt. We're gonna take an excerpt from my set for Harp and Clarinet called Night Dances. And this is the tango. And what note would you like for tuning?
1: We never did that. Yeah, we haven't tuned.